You're listening to the Semper Reformata podcast with Bob McAvoy. I wonder, could we turn to the Gospel of John, please? And to chapter 20. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord, and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. We're looking this evening for a moment or two at this passage of scripture concerning Thomas, a man who has traditionally and universally become known as Doubting Thomas. You've often heard people talking about someone who is questioning some truth or reality and he'll say, oh, he's a doubting Thomas or she's a doubting Thomas. His name, Thomas's name, and this particular incident has become woven in our language. I wonder if Thomas actually deserves such a reputation. Remember the narrative behind what has happened here. Jesus has died on the cross and he's been laid in the tomb. A sepulcher owned by a wealthy man, a man called Joseph of Arimathea. Most likely a cavity carved into a into a stone, into a rock. And that tomb has been covered with a stone. And after some intervention by the Jewish leaders, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, has sealed the stone and has set a watch, a guard, soldiers guarding the tomb, so that the disciples could not possibly have interfered with the body. On the first day of the week, early in the morning, some women had come to anoint the body of the Lord Jesus. They did that traditionally 
so that when the body began to decay, and Jesus' body did not see decay, but they would have thought it would be good to anoint the body with spices to alleviate the smell somewhat of the decay. And when they got there, they discovered that the stone had been rolled away, that the tomb was empty. And they went to tell Peter and John, who ran to the tomb, and were convinced by what they saw there, that Jesus was risen from the dead. Later, the risen Jesus met with many, many people. In our text today, we have been reading about how Jesus met the disciples, and how later on he commissioned them to go and to preach the gospel, And yet we learned, when we started reading at verse 24, that there was one person who was missing from that meeting. It was Thomas. And so when the other disciples told him that they had met the risen Lord, Thomas responded like this, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, the disciples were meeting again. And it was indoors. And the doors were securely shut. And this time, Thomas was there in their midst. And Jesus was there. He came and stood among them. And he spoke to Thomas in particular. He greeted them with the traditional Jewish greeting. Shalom, peace be to you. And he looked at Thomas. And in a demonstration of his risen physical body, he invited Thomas to stretch out his hand and to examine his wounds. The wound in the Saviour's side must have been so big that Thomas could actually thrust his hand right into the wound. We read in the scriptures that when Thomas saw those gaping wounds, he believed. But before we get too critical of Thomas, let's get one thing straight. Thomas wasn't the only disciple who had periods of doubt. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 9 down to verse 11, we read that the other disciples had doubts as well. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And he went and told them that he had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. Sounds fairly similar to what Thomas had said. Luke 24 and verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them which told these things unto the apostles. Verse 11. And their words seemed to them as idle tales and they believed them not. Thomas's experience here of unbelief, doubt, simply mirrored that of the rest of the disciples. In fact, the whole uh, saga, the whole story of of the, the death and resurrection of Jesus 
Thomas seems to have murdered the rest of the disciples. It would be euphoria on the first day of the week as Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem. It would be sadness at the Last Supper as he spoke of his betrayal and his departure, followed by fear as Christ was arrested by the Jews and executed by the Romans, followed by disbelief after the resurrection, and then finally faith when they personally met the risen Lord. So let's lay aside our thought of doubting Thomas for a few minutes. What I want to ask you tonight, is Thomas a doubter, or is he simply a role model for all of us? Can you look at grieving Thomas? We're going to look at honest Thomas, and then we look at decisive Thomas in this passage. And we not think about doubting Thomas for a moment or two. But there was grieving Thomas, and the reason that I say that is that there was a man here, and we read it in verse 24, who was not with them when Jesus came. You see that? John 20 and 24, Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, the word just means twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Now, like every one of us, Thomas is far from perfect. Thomas gets things wrong. For whatever reason, Thomas was absent from the meeting of the disciples when the Lord Jesus came and met with them that day. The Bible doesn't tell us where he was or where they were, but it outlines a very interesting principle for us. It outlines the principle that in times of grief or times of trouble or times when we become disillusioned or times when we are filled with fear or confusion or doubt, that we should make it a priority that we seek the company of God's people. Book of Proverbs, chapter 8, tells us, Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. I think it would be a good thing, a good principle, when we have sorrows or difficulties, to be in the place where the Lord's people are gathered, wouldn't you? Way back in 1986, I went to my first church, my first full-time church. And I went from Bangor, where I lived and grew up, down to a place away in the middle of nowhere, in County Armagh, a wee church along the side of the road, in a place with an almost unpronounceable name, in the midst of country people, farming people. And a wee young man from Bangor, who suddenly was thrust into that. Despite the fact that I had married a farmer's wife, I I found some of their, a farmer's wife, a farmer's daughter, I I found some of their habits and customs to be extremely strange. One of the things that I discovered was that whenever they had lost a loved one, when someone died in the family, the whole family would be absent from church possibly for three weeks, not just 
the person who had died, not just their husband or wife, but their children and their grandchildren and their cousins and their nephews and their aunts and their uncles and the whole family circle would suddenly just disappear. And being a small congregation, that meant that we were left with a handful of people. First time it happened, I thought it was just strange people. But the second time it happened, I decided I'd talk to one of the elders. I went to see him, and I queried this problem. What's happened? Where are these people? Why are they not here? We haven't seen them from the funeral. And he looked at me as if I was a bit strange, and he says, but pastor, nobody goes to church for three Sundays after the death of a loved one. I thought, why not? Because they're in mourning. It was reminded of the warning of the Hebrew author. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. As you see the day approaching, we're to exhort one another. The word simply means that we're to strongly encourage one another by meeting together in times of great difficulty, in times of great sorrow. One of the things that people noticed in times of war and days gone by was that church attendance actually increased because people would come seeking comfort in the presence of the Lord's people. One of the worst mistakes and aspects of the COVID coronavirus scare, you can call it scam if you want, the lockdown in 2020 and 21 was the closure of churches. We didn't know what we were facing in 2020. We knew in 21 we kept our churches open. In 20, we didn't know what we were doing. Christian leaders complied with the government's diktat to close the place of comfort, to close the doors of comfort to the people who needed to meet with the Lord's people and seek comfort together. And we closed those doors and we disobeyed the scriptures, which is the word of God, which we ought to obey rather than the laws of man, and we closed the doors of comfort to people who were terrified by the government's fear messages. It was a bad hour of judgment, times of distress, times of difficulty, times when you find it hard to pray. The thing to do is to come among the Lord's people and let us pray together for you. When you find it hard through sickness or sadness or disappointment, and you find it hard to seek the Lord's face, come among the Lord's people to the place where the presence of God is a promised reality. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Bring your sorrows. Bring your tears. Bring your heartache and bring it into the house of the Lord. Bring it to the place where the Lord's people are gathered and let us share one another's burdens. As we are taught in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. So Thomas was somewhere else 
when Jesus came. One of the sure ways to meet with the Lord who will bear your burdens for you is when those burdens come to meet in the place where the Lord has promised he will be in the midst of his church. Thomas had been among the Lord's people. He too would have found the comforting presence of Christ in their midst. Then we see honest Thomas, verse 25. The man who confessed his doubt, he owned up to the fact that sometimes he had doubts. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of his nails, and put my finger into the print of his nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, now think about this for a moment. Thomas has been missing from that first meeting. And he's come in, and he's met the disciples, and immediately there are eleven of his, maybe ten, of his enthusiastic contemporaries. People who he's known for three years, and or more, and all of a sudden they're all excitedly talking all at once because something absolutely amazing has happened. The person who they witnessed being arrested and crucified and who died on the tree and who had a Roman spear thrust away up into his side until it went right into his heart and burst the pericardial sac so that the water from his heart poured out. That person was there, standing, talking to them. What excitement! A sight that was so utterly amazing. Thomas is listening to this. And there's peer pressure going on. And I wonder if you or I had been in that situation with these people telling us We have met the Lord. How many people would have simply said, yeah, I know, and gone along with it? Many people would simply have agreed with what the others are saying and would have kept their own serious doubts under wraps. Thomas resisted that temptation. You see, Thomas wanted a real knowledge of Jesus. He wanted a real experience of the risen Christ. He didn't want a second-hand one. He didn't want a sham second-hand faith. He wanted to meet Jesus himself, just as the others had done. I challenge myself with this question, and I respectfully ask you this evening to do the same thing. The question is, have I met the Saviour? Do I know the Lord Jesus? Is my salvation real or is it just based upon a sham? Just going along with the flow, saying what others want me to say? Or have I met the Savior myself? God's perfect plan, of course, is that the Lord Jesus would go away. Thomas met him face to face. You know, there's times when we wish we had seen him face to face, but he's ascended. 
And he sits on the right hand of God and he intercedes for us and he sends us the Holy Spirit so to aid us in times of doubt. But look at the scriptures for a moment. See how much Jesus knows Thomas. The very words that Thomas said in verse 25, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, are mirrored by Jesus, are echoed by him in verse 27. He answers that prayer perfectly. He says, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. Do you see how Jesus is directly addressing the words of Thomas? And yet Jesus hadn't been there when Thomas said those words. He hears our every word. He reads our thoughts. He knows the intentions of our hearts. He knows what is going on. He knows those who are hypocrites. He knows what's going on in your heart and your mind. Those who are play-acting at religion. In fact, Psalm 139 verse 4 says, There is not a word in my tongue, O Lord, but thou knowest it altogether. In fact, the psalmist even reminds us that the Lord knows our words even before we utter them. So Thomas is given opportunity. He's invited to touch the wounds of Christ. I don't know whether he did or not. But we need to compare this verse 27 with verse 17. Because whenever Mary had tried to touch Jesus, Jesus had said in verse 17, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father, and to your Father, and to my God, and to your God. To Thomas, he said, touch me. To Mary, he says, touch me not. To Thomas, he says, touch me. There's no contradiction in it. A very simple explanation. In verse 17, the word touch me could just as easily, or touch me not, is one single Greek word. It could be easily translated as do not cling to me. Do not try to hold on to me. Mary, of course, so delighted to see Jesus that she would have kept him. She would have embraced him and not wanted him to leave. She would have clung to him when he must ascend to be with his father be seated at the right hand of the Father in glory so that we could ascend there too. But for Thomas, who wants evidence, he says, touch my hands and my side. He doesn't say anything about his feet. We know that there were piercings of the hands and the side. And Psalm 22 and verse 16 tells us, For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. The piercing of a feet was through a nerve. 
And as the victim on the cross gasped for breath, he would try to get that breath by pushing up with his feet to gasp in some air. And that very action would send more excruciating pain through that nerve, up through the legs, into the body. Everything about crucifixion is horrific and painful and shameful agony. Thomas saw the hands and the side of Jesus. And he was faced with his doubt and his unbelief. And he confessed it. And the Lord heard his confession. And he dealt with it. I wonder how many of us sometimes go through times when we doubt. Christian poet said, Lord, it is my chief complaint that my love is weak and faint, and yet I love thee and adore, oh, for grace to love thee more. Like Thomas, we just simply come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not what I ought to be. There are times when I let you down. There are times when I disbelieve. There are times when I doubt. But I love you. Give me grace to cling to you in those times. Grieving Thomas and honest Thomas. And lastly, decisive Thomas. Verse 28. And Thomas answered, And said unto him, My Lord and my God. See, when Thomas realized that there was overwhelming evidence that Jesus has risen from the dead, and there is, and he was truly the promised Messiah, and he really is God's only begotten Son, he didn't hesitate. He didn't hesitate for one moment. He made a public confession of faith. See the immediacy of this. Look at it straightforward. It's it's unequivocal. It's an expression of conversion. It's a testimony. Jesus is my Lord. I wonder how many people stood in churches today and affirmed the Apostles' Creed. Nothing wrong with that. We do that at communion service in Ballymacashan. We stand and we will make the statement. We will say unashamedly, we will say we believe in God. We will say we believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, who was born of the Virgin Mary, who was suffered under Pontius Pilate, who was crucified, dead and buried, who descended into the grave, who rose again the third day from the dead and ascended into heaven. We say all of that. But I wonder how many people say it and they have never met the Savior they're saying it about. <coughs> so I'm going to ask you, can you stand before others? Can you stand before your family and your friends, your work colleagues and your neighbors? And can you, like Thomas, boldly and unashamedly say, Jesus is my Lord? 
Not just that he's Lord. Not just I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. Can you say he's my Lord and my God, like Thomas did? Maybe you've reached the same conclusion as millions of others throughout history have reached. You've heard and you've read the evidence presented in the Word of God. You've read about the changed lives of the apostles. You've seen God's grace in countless others. Now, are you going to stand up and say, Jesus Christ is my Lord? And Jesus doesn't chastise Thomas. And he doesn't reject him. Because when a sinner comes to Jesus, he never turns them away. So we've seen a little bit of Thomas's journey here. A man who was grieving and who missed out on the fellowship of saints and the comforting presence of God. A man who was honest about his own spiritual inward life, his, his lack of real faith in Christ, to someone who heard and saw the hard evidence for himself. And when he was convinced by that evidence, no doubt with the work of the Holy Spirit within him, he openly and eagerly and unambiguously declared right away that Jesus is his Lord. And the final words in the passage are for us. A word of comfort and assurance for everyone here this evening. For you and me. In verse 29. For Jesus said to him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are we to be saved by God's grace by faith alone in Christ. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.